Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts, specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff, with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. I was so shocked when people were telling me that in order to work, I had to fix my face. I found it was completely insane. After about a decade or so modeling, you did eventually tire of it. What happened? I wasn't a supermodel, so it wasn't worth the weight and the passivity, I think. So if modeling the first time around felt passive, how would you describe it the second time around when you came back? Well, the difference is now they were booking Caroline de Maigret instead of booking a model. Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion, and welcome to Inside Fashion on the BOF podcast. This week, I sit down with the model, producer, and author Caroline de Maigret. Now, many people will know Caroline from her very, very successful book called How to Be a Parisian, or they might know her as an ambassador for Chanel. But actually, as you'll learn on this week's episode of the BOF podcast, Caroline has a much more interesting and fascinating story than that. We'll also talk about her latest book, Older But Better But Older, The Art of Growing Up. So here's Caroline de Maigret, Inside Fashion. Hello, Caroline, how are you? Good, thank you for having me. Thank you for being here virtually. You're 
in Paris today, I'm in London, but through the magic of technology, we're connected for this episode of uh, Inside Fashion on the BOF podcast. Where exactly are you sitting today? <laughs> I'm sitting on my bed in Pigalle. Okay. And is that normally where you conduct meetings? Well, <laughs> no, it's not. But as you know, we're doing this from my house, it was the only safe place where I'm sure that my son and his friends would not come in, that my boyfriend wouldn't come in, that or you know, anyone. So yeah, it's a safe place. Okay. Well, it's really great to connect with you because this conversation has been a long time coming ever since you and I were sitting near each other at a dinner in Paris <laughs> a while back. And, you know, before we get into the conversation about your new book, um, Older But Better But Older, I, I, I wanted to take a step back first and, and talk a little bit about you because, you know, you and I don't know each other all that well. We often bump into each other during Fashion Week. And um, in the very beginning, I didn't actually know exactly what your career was and what you did. So I, I wanted to start that way, actually, which is like when you meet someone and, you know, someone you don't know, how do you describe what you do, you know, when you meet them at a dinner party or something, like when you introduce yourself? I know I'm still very embarrassed by this question, actually, because I still don't know. Uh, I write books. I produce music. I'm a Chanel ambassador um, and I direct videos. So I don't I don't. I don't know what I am. I'm all this. Well, that's a lot of really different things. So I'm really curious to learn how someone builds a portfolio of activity, which enables them to do so many things. But I guess let's let's go back to university. You studied at the Sorbonne. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, not, not for too long, but I did uh, study political sciences first, and then I went to the Sorbonne to study modern literature. Okay. And back in those days, before Caroline de Maigret was all of the things you just said, I mean, what were the things that you were interested in and what did you dream about doing with your career? I was um, very into paintings and art and I wanted to, do, um, to study history of art. But I'm from a family that was very classic and very into, um, you know, classic jobs. And my parents went against the fact that I would study art. So I decided to go to the Sorbonne and I was like, well, at least, you know, I'll be reading books <laughs> and that's yeah. not too bad. Um, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. Why not? Well, I wanted to study art. So, okay. um, so, you know, and the only way I could find to, you know, get my own life in in control you know was to be financially independent to leave the house so you know in the middle of the Sorbonne I was um, being asked a few times I'm a Parisian so you know Paris is is a big place for fashion and and I was asked a few times in the streets if I wanted to model and um, I tried and I got you know jobs really fast um, and I was sent to New York for a job and I never came back. <laughs> and so you'd never imagined being a model when you never. were? Never. I had never opened a magazine in my life. So what was that like, you know, being thrust into the fashion world, you know, at such a young age without any kind of real exposure to it? 
Yeah, well, I, it wasn't such a, a young age. I was 19, so I was already quite educated. So I wasn't um, in a position where you could control my mind already so fast, you know? So I, I was quite aware of what was happening. And it, it was a bit strange because the first thing that people started telling me was, you know, mid-90s, um, the supermodel era. And people were telling me that, you know, my nose were too was too big and I had to fix it and that I didn't have enough boobs and, you know, that that I had to change aesthetically. And it was such a weird thing for me who was, you know, a student. I had never looked at myself in the mirror. And it wasn't the era either of iPhones and, and, and selfies and stuff. So, it, you know, the your physical aspect was not <laughs> the main thing in our life at the time and and um and i was so shocked when people were telling me that you know in order to work i had to fix my face i, I found that i found it was completely insane yeah i mean i guess there's always been a lot of pressure on models to look a certain way and walk a certain way and act a certain way but sounds to me like you you know had a mind of your own how you you ended up staying in the modeling industry for some time so how did you kind of find the balance between kind of sticking to your own values and principles while also, you know, walking for Louis Vuitton and Alexander McQueen and Chanel and all of these, you know, top photographers were taking, like, how did you find the right because balance? Because the craziness of meeting all those super talented people that were teaching me so much stuff was incredible. The To enter the world of, People from all over the world, from all different, um, you know, um, lives and, and stories behind that I was not used to from my education was crazy. And, and I was completely amazed, you know, like, for example, you know, I, I would end up you know, working with Steven Meisel and Peter Lindbergh at the time, Mario Testino, all the guys. And they would always, you know, very often they, they, they would say, oh, you know, we're doing this story inspired by this movie or by this artist. No, no, no. So I would write everything down. And then at home, I would come back and study, like, all those people they were talking about. I wanted to understand, like, the core of the whole thing. And it, 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 I had an amazing time. But it, it is true that I was more amazed by the image and the knowledge of those people. That That's really what took me. So in a way... Those experiences working with those kinds of, you know, really experienced visionary creatives connected you to this passion and interest you had in the art world. Yeah, yeah, I did my own class in a way. Exactly. Yeah. Is there a particular moment that stands out to you from those days that you kind of hold close to your heart as something that was really special? I mean, I'm sure there's many of them, but just paint us a picture of something that you experienced back in the days of fashion before Instagram and social media and the internet and all of that stuff? Like, what was it like? Well, first of all, I mean, you would leave for a week to do a fashion shoot, <laughs> you know? You were building things and you were building also uh, relationships and, and it, it was more, it was about glamour and, and creating. Um, so that was very interesting um and strong and 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 lively um so you know to to actually gather to 
not for a mission, especially of of um, money. You know what I mean? Of business, but but really to create beautiful pictures. Um, what was it like? I don't know. It was fun. It was. Um, Is there one shoot in particular you remember where you went away for a week somewhere amazing and worked with? <laughs> There's so many. What can I find? I know that to me, Steven Meisel has always been the craziest experience. Um, his mind, his way of of um, being in to details from your nails to your hair to the way uh, the dress falls on you and 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 how you know you put it up your elbow. I mean, all the, he loves fashion so much that he makes you love it. He, it's it's very very inspiring, and I think. And one day for a Louis Vuitton campaign, um, he did like in the old time, like Irving Penn used to do, you know, with a mirror behind him. So mm -hmm. you could see yourself pose. That was very interesting. That was a very interesting uh, um, aspect of, of the whole, you know, fashion and posing in the, in the, in the real roots of it, you know? Yeah. Uh, but I went, no, I remember like my first big editorial, um, was for British Vogue with Michael Johnson. Um, and he took me to Sicilia, to Palermo, where we went into, um, the steps of the Godfather. And I was like the widow. And uh -huh. it was, it was amazing. Wearing black. Wearing black, but, but black suits already. It was just under time and, you know, this kind of suits and stuff. And I was this modern widow. In, but but I was in you know sitting in the table with Sicilians of like twenty Sicilians drinking and eating. It was, it was really fun. You would have budget to really build you know things and yeah. Yeah. So I understand that after you know about a decade or so modeling, you you did eventually tire of it. You know what what happened? It is a weird thing to be passive, to wait for others to book you <laughs> yeah, um, is a weird um, thing. And it was fun for a while and I had the most amazing time. I'm not sure, um, I wasn't a supermodel, you know, I was working well. I had great experiences with great photographers, um, but I was quite commercial at the time. It, you know, it wasn't that exciting. Um, so it wasn't worth the wait and the passivity, I think. Right. Um, and also, you know, I, uh, it was just time to do something else. It was, uh, it was uh, you know, I wanted to get my life into my hands and decide to, to build things and create other stuff. So what did you do? So when I was in New York, I was surrounded by musicians and they would go out all the time and go to concerts and, and stuff. And, and I had started with the money of my modeling to kind of sponsor some of my friends and by, you know, renting gear, uh, renting a van to go on tour or things like this. And then I was like, what, well, you know what? Now it would be cool to actually produce the object itself and, and make the, Their music exists for the ones who would not get signed that I thought um, deserved to exist, you know. And um, and I decided to go back to France because there was, you know, no point of doing it in New York where all the indie labels were completely existing and and stuff. And and I went to France and I was like, okay, I'll I'll <laughs> I'll make my music label. So I did. 
And how many years did you do that for? Did you completely check out of fashion during that period? Um, yeah, I might have done like one or two jobs a year just, you know, to be able to pay my rent. But I'm not even, yeah, not really, no. I just uh, built that label with um, a musician I met uh, who became um, my man after. But uh, mm-hmm. we, we, Yarol Poupo, and we, we, we created this label. I don't, I still have the production company, but we don't have artists anymore. Um, he, we found out <laughs> we were very immature in the way we did it because we found out that it was, it was more that one percent of of art and creation with 99 percent of problems yeah <laughs> it's often that that when you're like building up your own company and trying to figure things out in a new industry yeah and you you know i mean there, there is a there is a reason for for um you know business schools and and marketing schools and stuff yeah. and we did not have that knowledge and and we were only here there for artists and so the the creativity you know and the image and the sound w- w- was great but then you know we had no idea of how to do it behind mm. so then we decided to uh, expand ourselves and do and start doing you know music um, for movies for um, you know advertising and stuff and this still works really well and we got nominated really fast for the um, French Oscars for the best soundtrack the César les César exactly yeah. And this um, this was interesting because it gave me um, like people started in, to be interested in me for something else, but but magazines were you know were coming back to me again. So it was a, like full circle back to the fashion industry. No, not yet. But yeah. um, Jennifer from Jalouse. Um, calls me up and say, well, you know, we're doing a radio show outside of, um, you know, the fashion shows in Paris. Uh, we would love you to host a, a show where you would speak to fashion and music to people of fashion. So I said, yes. And then um, a whole world opened <laughs> in front of my eyes because when I was a model in the 90s, you know, front row didn't exist. Um uh, street style didn't exist and so um i discovered a whole new world so this was in 2012 right so it's like not that long ago yeah and it's interesting because like when i when i think about you and your relationship to the fashion industry maybe it's just because i actually haven't worked in the fashion industry for that long i always associate you with carl lagerfeld and chanel like that's the place where i kind of link I think of your kind of connection to this industry. Can can you tell me about how that relationship developed? Yeah, it's very interesting because actually it followed my whole career. Um, when I was a young model doing castings, I went and you know knocked at the door of Chanel, and they asked me to come back a day later. So I came back and I met Karl Lagerfeld. And um, the whole team with Virginie Villard asked me if I could uh, stay for three weeks so that they could uh, do the collection on me. So that was very exciting. And like a fitting model? A fitting model, but just for the collection, you know, just right. for that show for three weeks. Um, that must have been amazing. 
it was amazing. It was amazing to be with, you know, for three weeks along with, with Cal, who was so witty and so much fun and so impressive as well, you know. Um, and it was great for my career as well, because that meant, you know, I was going to do the Chanel show, which is, you know, it, it does change a lot. It, it's the kind of, it's the show you have to do in your, when you want to be a model. It's one of those shows that are important to be seen at, or at least, you know. Um, so that was great. And then after that, you know, I started modeling for everyone and, and I did the Chanel shows, uh, every season more or less. And then I stopped. And then when I had this radio show, uh, just, you know, during fashion week in 2012, you said that's, yeah, I think that's what it is. Um, I managed to get Karl Lagerfeld in my track. To do an interview. To do an interview. Okay. And I hadn't seen him. I hadn't seen him for about, yeah, maybe 15 years or something. And um, I was a mother. I was a music producer. And um, and we started the interview. And, and, you know, his press agent had told me, you only have him for 15 minutes, but he stayed for 40. Um, we had this amazing talk. And, and it was funny. It was interesting. And he was telling me about his mother and his childhood. It, it, it was so great. Do you, and, did he remember you from before? Yes. Yes, okay. he did. But he was just seeing you in a completely different light in a way as this more mature woman who'd become a mother and built a completely different career. Yeah. And my mind was different. I had things to tell. I had things to share. I had stories to share. Yeah. And, and a week later, um, his team called me and, and said, hey, do you want to do um, the Chanel cruise show next week in Saint-Tropez? It's <laughs> like, what? You know, and it wow. wasn't the time yet where all the supermodels came back. You know, it wasn't, it, it wasn't about, you know, all the girls come back yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was very um, surprising. And, you know, I'm not a skinny 18-year-old girl. And I was like, wow, that's... Um, <laughs> That's exciting. So I thought it was fun and, and I went and do the show and Stella Tennant was there as well. And maybe one or two other girls from the time. But, um, so it was very interesting to see how avant-garde Carl was on, on that show because yeah. it was a time where people were starting, I think, probably thanks to internet to be in the need of authenticity and truth. You know, yeah, and they, and I think women were ready as well to be talked to, um, uh, by by women of the age as well. You know, it, it it was fine. Um, so it was very interesting. And then, you know, I I did the show, and and many um like fashion directors and and casting directors saw me, and they called me back, and uh, I did uh, the. Prada campaign with Stephen Maisel after that, the Louis Vuitton campaign, the Laura Mercier with Ines and Vinoud. Uh, yeah, I started doing a lot of things where, where, where I hadn't planned at all to come back into fashion. So it was, yeah. it was quite uh, interesting. And I, was, I felt very flattered and, and honored and happy for just for women in general that we were allowed to be seen you know, and portrayed as inspirational. So if modeling the first time around felt passive, how would you describe it the second time around when you came back in this kind of new, 
incarnation of yourself? Well, the difference is now that we're booking Caroline de Maigret instead of booking a model. Right. So I kind of had, I was kind of making the rules suddenly, you know, of, of choosing my days with whom I wanted to shoot. Um, so it became way more interesting. And I was, I had also the opportunity to be able to say no, uh, which is a, a great power. <laughs> Um, so it was a whole different thing. And it, and it was also a different business it, because it really became a business, uh, which kind of was, uh, good for the woman I was, the business woman I was and the mother I was, because suddenly, you know, you, you would work from nine to five, you know, do your thing, come back home. So it, it, it was, it was really, um. Great. And, and of course, you know, it, it's, it is more fun to work in a situation where, uh, you're actually celebrated and people want you rather than being always the one to ask, you know, and, and yeah, it's a different situation you know, when, you, when you succeed. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef-grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts, specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff, with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder or step out in that streetwear, you'll realise that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, 
you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Yeah, you're not just like a clothes hanger. You're actually a person. Yeah, and it was, you almost had the feeling when I was just a model that I would get the job because someone else didn't get it. You know what I mean? Right. That's, That's how I felt. Yeah. So during this period, you also write this book, which um, became like a huge sensation, you know, (laughs) how to be a Parisian. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, what motivated you to start writing and how, you know, that added to your whole repertoire of things that you did? Well, the thing is, when I came back, uh, into the world of fashion when, you know, street style had arrived and I didn't know of it. And I started, you know, doing shows and, or, or attending shows and people would take my photo. And about two or three months later, I was in magazines and everyone, especially American Vogue, um, would put my photo and saying, oh, how Parisian, how French, you know, or the Parisian girl or the Parisian style. And I was completely amazed because I had no idea. That right. first of all, that I had a style. And second of all, that it was Parisian. And third of all, that it could interest anyone. Um, so I started, and, and so people would start interviewing me about that Parisian style. So, you know, I had to find answers because I had never thought about it. And by finding answers, I understood the mystique of it. And I understood also the wrong cliches of it and the wrong um message it could send to women so i wanted to do um kind of like a state of where we're at now of what is the parisian woman today and you know debunk some myth while some still exist but still in a way i i felt like you i had to reassure somehow women as well that would that i found by you know um, traveling the world, they were putting so much pressure on themselves on being perfect. And I wanted to express that maybe the fact that they were, some of them were inspired by Parisian women is instead of being inspired by their style, that they didn't re- realize, or maybe it was unconscious, that they were interested in the freedom we had of not being perfect, that we had given up that utopia. And um, so that was the goal of writing this book. And I think um, it did feel really good for uh, some women and it resonated. And, and um, it, yeah, it was a big bestseller all over the world, which was really crazy. Yeah, it's been translated into so many languages. Yeah, 30, and it was a, 32. <laughs> wow. I mean, that's pretty amazing for your first book. And, you know, I, I understand why you think it resonated because... You know, I guess you're you're kind of equating how to be Parisian with the kind of, you know, there's a kind of a distancing it from this obsession with perfection and like that, you know, perfectly finished thing. So if you were going to describe Parisian style, I mean, there was an article in the Telegraph recently and it says, um, Maigret looking like a lion with her trademark tousled hair, bardo <laughs> fringe, skinny black jeans and biker jacket. I mean, every time I see you, I do feel like, and I'm, I'm, I guess you are aware of it now, you really do have a sense of 
style, but it isn't perfect. You always look, you know, genuinely uh, yourself. How do you describe it now that you have been made aware of it, your style? Yeah, I have this saying that because I'm being asked by my about my style often, I try to, you know, go around and ask people around me about it. And, and it's funny how, you know, people see it differently. So, you know, I asked um, my mother who said it was effortless, <laughs> but it wasn't in a very good side, I think. But, it, you know, that's what she says. And then my friends say I'm chic. My man says I'm rock and roll. You know, yeah. and 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 my son says I'm cool, so I think I'm a bit of all this. I think I'm authentic. I think I'm. I think style to me is my personality. Is the way pe- people see me. Is the way I want them to perceive me from the first aspect. So it is important to me, um, and I do uh, take care of it. While at the same time, it's not my main. Um, uh, whatever thing to do in life you know what I mean so how can I say I think Parisian style has this thing that you know you don't want to be perceived as someone who spends too much time it's it's not very flattering for Parisian women to be thought of to um, not, not intellectual enough in a way you know what I mean Right. So if you're spending all your time thinking about how you look, that kind of raises questions about your depth of character and intellect. Exactly. And this has always been very strong in the Parisian girl's mind and, and style um, in, in, in general. When you look at the icons, they always have this kind of quite intellectual thing about them. And even though they're not... M- they don't have to be more than other countries. It's just, it's an important thing for them, for you not right. to know. And, and I think it's really built on our our history, our literature. Um, you know, women were in the romanticism, it were always very mysterious. Yeah. And it's very funny because you have all these books and all these cliches about French women, you know, where they say, we don't get fat, we don't go to the gym, we don't... Uh, uh, you know, we're, French women are just like any other woman. It's just, it's something that they don't really talk about because it's, first of all, it's not very interesting, but to share. <laughs> but also, you know, it's a mystery that you keep for yourself because no one needs to know those details, you know? And 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 mystery, mystery attracts people and obviously it does because Parisian style is trying, you know, it, it still has a life in front of it, so... Hmm. Is it genuinely effortless or do you think about what you're going to wear when you leave the house? Oh, no, I do think. I do think of it. I just don't need it to be neither perfect, neither too much. Um, I I like to wear things that are um, very easy, that I, I find myself in adequation with who I am. That way I can be confident and not think about it. I, I can just enter a room and have a conversation with you, Imran, without with knowing that at least that part is safe. Right. Um, but but um, but I do like to find that little twist more that's going to make me more stylish. Mm. I feel like there's also this idea with the way 
French women in particular buy clothes is that they're creating a wardrobe as opposed to following trends and that they 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 incorporate things into their wardrobe that they can wear for a long time that's part of the style there and that seems very much in keeping with this whole movement around slow fashion which is like not just buying every latest trend but also you know just thinking about things that last does that does that make sense to you no it's it's exactly that you you nailed it completely and it's very um interesting um how more and more i'm i'm actually coming to that even more because the way um the the other dose of pictures of of how people dress and everything it, 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 i do come back to my roots even more of having a few pieces um that are of great quality that I wear over and over again. I have no shame whatsoever of wearing the same clothes. It's the opposite. And if you really look at style icons, you could chop off their heads. You would still recognize them because of this reason. You know, it's great to add, you know, by season one or two pieces that you really fell in love, um, that you're adding, but you don't need more. And, 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 um, and I think that's what makes you special and that's what makes uh, style. Yeah. And I think actually, as I think about Parisian style, that's for me the most important thing that maybe we can all learn from the way, you know, Parisians and French people think about what we call fashion, which is there's this like, we're in this like gluttony of overconsumption right now when it comes to fashion. And one of the things I've been thinking a lot about a lot at the beginning of this year as we think about the climate crisis and impact of our industry on biodiversity is that these kinds of behaviors of like rethinking our relationship with fashion is is going to be really important not you know not just in France but all over the world no i know and i wanted to thank you imran and that's why one of the reasons why i've been addicted to um bof for a very long time is your uh, political um and the, the the way you involve yourself politically in in many different matters and it really really uh, makes things um, advance and go on. So uh, yeah, congratulations on that. Oh well, thank you. <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting because when we talk about style and slow fashion, when I was a teenager, the only way for me to be kind of cool and have a little attitude um, was to go vintage. Because it was the only clothes I could afford, um, and that would make me look more unique, you know. And and when I was a model, to go to um, to castings, I needed to have style. And my agents were telling me, "Oh, you know, you should buy uh, something by a Prada or something or whatever." And I was like, "How? <laughs> I don't have the money for that." Right. Like, well, you need to be trendy for them to really want you, and and. And vintage um, has always been, you know, the key for that. And and I think um, and I think it's great uh, to mix vintage with a few pieces year by year, and that's enough. Yeah, and I think we're seeing the real resurgence of that market. I mean, they're not calling it vintage anymore; they're calling it the resale market. But it just helps to extend the life of clothes uh, beyond the first person who bought 
that garment, you know? And I think, yeah, it's just going to be really interesting as we think about how our, our consumption and relationship with fashion changes. Yeah. And why, why does everyone need to look alike and have this need of belonging to the same, you know what I mean? To, to have it all. And what does it translate to? Why? What, where yeah. is this lack? What, what, what's the need for that? Exactly. Well, I didn't want to, uh, you know, end the conversation without talking about your latest big project, which, you know, you and I talked about over dinner a few months ago. And, <laughs> you know, I, I love the title, Older But Better But Older. So first, let's, let's start with that. Like, what's, what's the meaning behind this new book? the art of growing up yeah well so just the title was that you you know was that i'm I'm aging and it does change a few things um and it's great and i love where um it's i love the knowledge i'm getting from it i love um you know so many things yet the society has a tendency or magazines have a tendency to tell us how amazing it is and i was like well that's not how i feel it's not that cool so that's why it was important to say that little but older at the end of the title now the idea was a bit on how you're living your life and and little by little you have little things happening uh might it be you know, you're, you waking up in the morning in great shape and you show up for work and everyone tells you how tired you look <laughs> or, or society, um, you know, you know, people calling you madame or, um, uh, or just men less looking at you, whatever it is, you know, and, and much and deeper things as well, that little by little, little push you out of the youth club. Right. It's a very strange feeling because you're still the same person, but little by little, you don't belong to them anymore. And you belong to the adult, older kind of stuff. And it's a weird thing and it's fine. And it, you just have to digest all these new things that happen. And so it was, I wanted to write a fun take on on this feeling and how, you know, and how it's all okay. It's just, it's just, um, it's just fun to read things, I think. And it, and it feels good to read things that happen to you that you feel that you haven't put words on it, but someone kind of helps you see through it. And that's the aim of the book. Yeah. You know, tell me, because people talk about aging and <laughs> we have this whole like, you know, stigma in our culture about aging you know it's literally says but better on the cover so for the benefit of all of us how how is getting older better from your perspective well um first of all i like the fact that i understood my neuroses and my fears i learned how to live with them instead of against them um, so that's a great relief and serenity that it brings you. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the knowledge to listen to people more, to be more curious, to understand things more and have a distance with things that make me interested in more in things that matter. 
now. Mm -hmm. I love that part. I find it so fulfilling and so interesting. And so, so this I love. I love how, you know, friendships and relationship evolve with, um, with time as well. I just things, you know, things that matter, matter more and, and are, and so everything gets more, um, strong and interesting. So th this is the better to me is yeah. the serenity is the understanding as well that, um, whatever projection you have in your future is pure utopia and, and it can only cause frustration. I don't mean, I don't mean to stop dreaming. I just, I'm just talking about the projection you have of, of, a relationship or of that party in two weeks where you might, you know, meet someone that's going to change your life. Or, you know what I mean? How you projecting others, a change of life or things that only cause frustration yeah. and, and that in doesn't um, help you to live in the now. Um, Cause you're always there and, and the there does not exist. So, that's something I've learned. That's probably one of the best thing uh, that I managed to apply in my everyday life. Hmm. How do you embrace your neuroses? I want to learn that particularly. Well, I've worked on myself a lot. I went yeah. through therapy. I did EMDR hypnosis. Um, <laughs> yeah, I worked on myself hard and, and, and I read a lot of books and yeah, I, I basically, I fixed my past for it not to become my future. Hmm. That's really powerful. Um, was it hard to write a second book, given that the first book was such a huge success? What was difficult was not to be able to hide behind the Parisian anymore. Um, and I was me, or I was Sophie. Um, so it was much more intimate. And that was the, that was the hard part is I could make up cliches before <laughs> that I wasn't allowed anymore. Um, so that Why? Was, Cause it was a much more personal book. Well, yeah. I mean, it's just about us aging while the other one was the Parisian. So you're still allowed to make up stuff cause you're allowed to do whatever you want in your life. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, it was more fictional. Um, this time it wasn't. You know, it was it was really about about Sophie and I and our stories and or maybe our friends' stories. But uh, um, so yeah, it, it digs even deeper. Um, and I actually, in the middle of the writing, <laughs> I went through a midlife crisis. <laughs> it was quite intense. What happened? Well, I thought. I don't know for what reason, but I was like, oh my God, it's the last time, you know, I'm sexy or, or seducive, or it's the last time I can change my life uh, work-wise. It's the last time, whatever. So, um, gave me, you know, with anxiety attacks and stuff. And it's so like I now or never kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. So I started going out every night um, dumping my boyfriend, the, you know, the father of my son. Uh, I mean, crazy. I went crazy. And then um, it took me a little while. And then I realized it wasn't the case and that my mind had played games with myself. But it's just that I hadn't fixed a lot of things and, and a lot of questions uh, and that I had to keep on working on myself. Got it. 
Well, listen, Caroline, it was it was really nice to finally hear your full story because we've never had a chance to go through all of this before. Thanks and, um, for the opportunity. Yeah, no, it's just I've always loved chatting with you, but it's nice to <laughs> to get to know you a little better, even though we're not in the same room. And um, and I wish you the best of luck with uh, this new book, Older But Better But Older. It's available all around the world, but especially we have a edition that's out here in the UK that I think is going to get a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. So um, good luck to you. And thank you for taking the time to talk to us on the BOF podcast. This is uh, Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of the Business of Fashion. I'm bidding farewell to Caroline de Maigret, uh, who's in Paris. Yes, thank you so much, Imran, for listening and, and, and giving me this opportunity. Thank you. No problem. And we'll see you next week on the BOF podcast. Bye. Bye. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, give us a rating, and you might be interested in joining the Business of Fashion's global membership community, BOF Professional. Our members receive exclusive deep dive analysis, regular email briefings, as well as unlimited access to our archive of over 10,000 articles, our new iPhone app, biannual special print editions, and all of the online courses and learning materials from BOF Education. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.